Hello and welcome to our professional development that we are offering on fostering an inclusive classroom environment in the age of COVID-19. My name is Kenneth Townsend. I am the Director of Education and Outreach at the Robert Russell Milton Museum, Civil Rights Museum located in Park, Virginia. I'm joined today by two classroom educators, Ms. Antoinette Waters of Arlington, Virginia, and Mr. Devon Johnson in Virginia Beach. We had another panelist as well per the advertisements, uh, Megan Ferenczi, the uh, Museum Educator at the Director of Education at the Holocaust Museum, but at the last minute. Um, now, just to kind of clarify the purpose kind of, of this professional development and why we felt the need to, to really to do this, you know, inclusion, right? There's this whole concept that has really sprung into prominence and, and, and dominated a lot of conversations in, in recent kind of years and recent times, justifiably so. Certainly, it's, it's already a difficult thing to achieve in an in-person space, right? And so we wanted to take some time to have a conversation here and then you know, towards the end and after the professional development certainly offer some resources on how to pursue being an inclusive space, even if it's virtual or, or hybrid and, and whatever this kind of, kind of looks like, right? Um, and the idea of being comfortable with kind of this idea of inclusion growing and changing as as humans and social identities kind of grow and can change as well. Um, teachers just have a very difficult task before kind of the pandemic, but we wanted to just kind of sit and have a conversation about kind of how the transition has gone and kind of what some things that folks are doing to try to make sure that we are, are being inclusive of, of all of our students and making sure the classroom environment is safe and, and students feel welcome and, and valued. Um, so, now, if our panelists will introduce yourselves, just kind of say hello, who you are, and maybe how long you've been in education. Uh, Antoinette, if you wanted to start, and Devon, if you want to follow. Okay, so my name is Antoinette Dempsey Waters. I am an 18 year veteran who teaches at Wakefield High School in Arlington, Virginia. I teach uh, African American history as well as advanced placement, U.S. history, and economics and personal finance. Great, great. All right, and I am Devon Johnson, a teacher here in Virginia Beach. Um, I teach at Glenwood Elementary, formerly at Lynn Haven Elementary. Um, I have been teaching, this is year five for me, and um, I've taught third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. Um, and in fifth grade, jumping from just language arts all the way to um, being self-contained, teaching all four subjects in uh, science, social studies, math, and language arts. Great, great. So both of them have a very kind of rich history in, in teaching and education and both phenomenal educators and have tremendous insight. Um, so let's start by kind of going backwards, um, but pre-pandemic, I know to everybody 2020 has really seemed like two months and 20 years in the same kind of setting. So what, I'm curious, so what did this kind of topic look like for you both uh, before kind of the pandemic? You know, what kind of things did you, did you all do kind of as the head of your classrooms to make students feel welcome and valued regardless of kind of what they look like and where they came from and such? I'm just curious as to what the pre kind of looked like before COVID. Devon, do you want to go or do you want me to go? <laughs> oh, you can go ahead and start. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, a part of 
creating a welcoming environment in, in your classroom honestly starts with something really simple. And it's something that I have used time and time again. It's the whole, you know, making kids talk to each other. So they'll get these cards where they have to say hello, but their partner is, it's all done in different languages. So it'll be hello in tons of different languages. And they have to just find their partner who says hello in their language, who actually can speak their language. And then we go into questions about just simple things, really simple. Hi, what's your name? What personal pronoun do you prefer? Uh, that it's something really super simple. What's your when's your birthday? You know, really just kind of those surface questions that kind of gets everyone, uh, I would say, comfortable. And then what's the what's the best place you've traveled to? And then another one I like to ask is what's your favorite food? So those are some questions that are really, I would think, very surface. I, my kids really enjoy the what's your favorite food question because it, high schoolers love to eat. <laughs> and you end up with this and we and then introduce everyone to the whole class. And you end up with this other great conversation about food and how much money we spend on food and why this is your favorite food. And so, you know, I always say food can also be that, that bridge, it can bridge a gap. So that's something that I do in my classroom to really foster that beginning of it, inclusivity, because a lot of people can identify with food, we all have to eat. So I start that the year with that. And then as we go along, especially when it's what, what personal pronoun do you prefer at the very beginning of the year, people feel comfortable. Okay, this person is asking me what is the personal pronoun that I prefer. And so it really does foster that respectful community. And we don't, you know, no, there is no judgment. I always say that there is no judgment. You know, people can the kids sometimes make judgments when it comes to kids and what they like to eat, you know, fun, those funny things. But outside of that, it really does foster that great inclusive environment. And we do a similar thing in the elementary setting and through a lot of our morning meetings. So we have morning meetings literally every day, um, every morning. And we have a closing meeting at the end of the day, just to wrap up how we did through the day. Um, and that's what we talk a lot about our social emotional we talk a lot about um, how we work with other people about those five C's and all of those good things like that and so we kind of do the same thing as Miss Water does in, in um, high school and so I do a big uh, introduction but in, with elementary st students a lot of them don't make the connection when you're just learning about other people right and when you're hearing um, this person likes macaroni and cheese so they don't really connect that, hey, I'm getting to learn from someone else. I'm learning about someone else's culture, right? And so I model a lot of that through me. I, they can connect with their teacher more quicker than they connect with their peers um, when they have conversations like that. So um, I model after myself. So I talk about how I like sports and what sports I like and, you know, who doesn't like it, who does, you know, we, we find out things like that. I talk, tell, excuse me, I talk to them about my pet peeves what are some pet peeves? And so they come up with their own pet peeves because there's a lot of things that 
especially elementary students, they don't really understand what a pet peeve is and why they get so annoyed with certain things and all, all of those um, different nuances. And so I try to model through myself and then include them. Um, and so they are open and receptive to other students in the classroom, the differences. And I like to, sometimes I, I talk about some of the things that they don't even know about, right? Because they were born <laughs> within the last 10 years, right? So I talk about things like that and they're looking at me like I'm crazy because they have no idea what that is. And there are easier ways to do these things um, than before. So they get to see, you know, like we were talking about that judgment, they judge me first. And so we talk about that. And so when they listen to each other, they're able to see and hear um, the differences between themselves and make um, a more respectful uh, judgment, I should say. Yeah, y'all both touched on some important themes I definitely wanted to, to talk a little bit more about. So within both of kind of what you all were saying, the importance of kind of starting how you want to finish. Um, as a museum educator, I don't, and I think Megan would, would share if she was here, you know, we, we don't, we get the we get to see a higher volume of kids before a significantly less amount of time, right? So first impressions are are, are key. Um, and, that, and for me, as I work in a civil rights museum, you know, we, we talk about some things that uh, can be can be some hard history to, to hear, right? And we pride ourselves in speaking of history in a very objective way, which means there's a lot of trauma. And so for me, I find it very useful to, because they know each other, but they don't know me. So I can, you know, it, to, to me, it's just kind of like, you know, making a good first impression on my part, but also like to start off talking with some group expectations, group norms, um, there's some, some neat activities I do in which I kind of put the onus on them because they know how to act, right? But, you know, talk to them about what kind of things when the younger groups is about like, you know, do you run in school? No, okay, so you probably shouldn't run here. You know, do you speak over each other in school? No, you know, so it's kind of creating, letting them create that, that space. And then the, for them, creating it, then they can hold themselves kind of accountable in, in, in that way. Um, for high schoolers and, and, and certainly over middle school, that, that looks a little different. But for me, it's, it's about like creating a space where folks feel like they have, they can be comfortable having freedom to fail. That makes sense. So for the older students, if I'm talking kind of diverse, inclusive topics, uh, you know, we create ground rules, but they're a little bit different. Um, you know, it's speak for I, not for we, right? Speak from your perspective, not for the whole perspective of a group of people, you know, it's, it's being empathetic, it's it's listening, it's stuff that we certainly learned throughout the years, but great way to kind of start already in that space. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, that's very, very important. I, agree. Both, I was going to say, I, I agree with you there, especially in the, the elementary setting, because um, a lot of that stuff has to be taught to them. And a lot of the teachers just expect them to know it or because we teach our own children that we expect all children to know those things. But those are really things that have to be taught, especially that empathy. What does it mean to empathize with someone? And so uh, I definitely agree with you there, Mr. Townsend. So, and that, that brings me another question, but I think I might, I might, I might say that. Um, but yeah, kids are, I don't think kids get enough credit. Uh, kids of all ages, really. Uh, I think certainly, and especially for the younger groups, Mr. Johnson, I'm sure you'll concur that, you know, teaching about the, the constructs of what segregation was and, and all the kind of more kind of concrete topics may be too much for elementary school, but they understand right and wrong, right? They understand fairness. They understand when somebody's getting treated poorly, right? And they can articulate that. 
you know, and in essence, that's what some of those more complex topics are, right? Not treating people fairly. They can, they understand that. They understand when people don't share and when people are rude and, and, and nasty. And so I think kids should get some more, some more credit kind of as a bit of a tangent, but still kind of related. Um, okay, let me, I'm doing too much talking. Um, let's go to the next kind of transition. What, what was it like for you both whatever you're comfortable sharing, you know, how, how does this transition, whether you started off as, uh, you know, as a hybrid approach or if you started off exclusively virtual, you know, what's, what has this whole kind of transition of sorts been like for you both broadly? Well, I can go and start. Um, for me, it's been a roller coaster um, of emotions because we went with the hybrid approach. And so, here in Virginia Beach, they had uh, parents and uh, families and teachers had a choice whether they were going to be hybrid or they were going to be completely virtual. And so me personally, I was hybrid, uh, meaning that we started the year with um, everyone being virtual. However, when the metrics went down with the pandemic, um, we were able to send certain kids back who preferred to be back in school um, along with those teachers. So. Um, around October 6 is when I ended up back into the classroom with my with my students. However, we do have half of our school still virtual at the moment. And so imagine having two first days of school and that's how it really was for me, you know, starting the year off virtually having those expectations teaching those norms which are totally different from being in class to being in class on the six they know me now, however, we're now learning how do we socially distance in the classroom? What does it look like in the classroom? Um, of course, we cannot all go to the carpet and sit together and touch all the materials and all of that. So it's been, I would say not even the first day of school, it was like a first week of school in the beginning and when we went back face to face. So those are just two big um, timeframes, I would say. So, you know, trying to keep on pace, trying to make sure we, everything is, it's covered. It's just been a, a pretty big whirlwind uh, roller coaster. Finding my groove, though. Yeah, I found my groove. That's wonderful. Uh, we are, high school is a little different from elementary. I think uh, elementary school kids follow directions really well. <laughs> uh, they And my young people are young adults. So we are not in we are all 100% virtual at the high school level where I am in Arlington, except for students, a small group of students with special needs due to the matrix um, that Virginia, the VDOE has set up, set out. Uh, we, we can't, we haven't met uh, some of the benchmarks that are on the matrix for just the COVID, for COVID. So it has been, a different year, but I think that as educators, we try, have to try to reach out and become as connected as possible. So high school is a little different. The kids will email you. They, you can keep up with them. We use Canvas. You know, every student has a MacBook. So we've really tried to bridge the gap. And now we have opened the school for limited students who are not special needs, but need better Wi-Fi. So it's a very small amount because again, our numbers in Northern Virginia are still pretty high. Uh, compared to some areas. So for me, teaching on virtually 
it's tough making connections, but you do your best by remembering a child's voice. So a lot of times it's kind of remembering their voice and being able to say, oh, is this such a such? Because we, I have so, my, my husband set up my office. So I have like multiple screens to make sure that my classroom runs very seamlessly, like it would in a, you know, if I were in the classroom trying to make sure it stays seamless. But um, you just have to foster those, moments. So you have to have breakout groups. The kids have to get to know each other in those within those breakout groups. So I try to keep the same group together so that they have learned each other and know each other, do group work together uh, with, with being, you know, distant. So those are some things that I've done to foster inclusivity. The kids, I also asked like, hey, what personal pronoun do you prefer? So they had a little, they had a form that they filled out at the beginning of the year to let me know what personal pronouns they prefer, what name, you know, what name do you want me to call you? Because in teams, you can't change their name. So I have to have it on my actual role you know, so when they raise their hand and things of that nature, I call them by the name that they prefer and the pronoun that they prefer. So we've been doing the best we could. Uh, it's high school, so, you know, it's a little different. And kids in high school were always afraid <laughs> because they can get really close <laughs> without uh, following directions. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you start answering my, my next question. So, Mr. Johnson, I'll give you a chance to answer too. But, like, how, yeah, and, and, and that's when I think you answered it very well, and exactly some things I think Devon and myself would say too. Um, although I don't have a virtual classroom, but certainly presentations that I've given to school groups since then, it's been like, all right, how do I get them talking? Because, like, I don't want to do all the talking. And it's certainly yeah, the breakout rooms and such have been helpful. And, and for, for me, it's been really trying to be as uh, interactive as possible, which is super difficult through, through the virtual setting. But uh, Devon, have you, have you found that some of the stuff you were uh, talking about earlier in terms of that introductory stuff, uh, icebreaker type stuff, I mean, did you find creative ways to transition that to virtual or, or was it just kind of not much, uh, not much able to transition? Um, no, I definitely was trying my best to make sure it transferred into the virtual setting because I'm really big on making sure kids feel safe, making sure they feel like they're loved and, you know, they, they are part of this class, they're part of this family. So I definitely tried my best um, to, to pull it into a virtual setting. So I did a lot of Padlets where um, I had like a discussion question and um, we would answer those things. And that's how I found out about their pet peeves. I did a bunch of interest surveys through Padlets and that we kept together. Um, and so I actually build my lessons around those Padlets. So we have one about pet peeves. So in my lessons, um, I'm going to include some of those topics, right? Or let's say we're, we're doing math word problems. I'm going to include some of those, you know, things that you said in your pet peeves into this math problem. Um, I, we did a lot of getting to know the names, nicknames, um, I don't know, just different things about the students um, that they wanted to share. And then, so I use those things into our lessons as well. Um, we did a lot of dance breaks. <laughs> so I'll just put music on my computer and, you know, we just did some dance breaks and different things like that. Um, I did a lot of display um, 
uh, display a poster and then I will have them in small groups, you know, just talk about what does this mean? How does this relate to me? Um, so I did try my best to get as creative as possible. Oh, we did a lot of virtual would you rathers. Uh, would you rather do this or do that? And, you know, on the screen, give me a thumbs up, give me a thumbs down. Um, if you agree, put your computer in the air or something like that. Um, just the silly things like that to get them engaged. Yeah, that, that, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I think you two are really great examples of, uh, of ingenuity and, and flexibility and adaptability. But for, for maybe some, so let's say hypothetically, you know, a colleague were to, were to approach you both and just were, were, were looking for resources, you know, Mr. Johnson, Ms. Watershed, you're so great with, you know, with, with your students virtually and such, you know, what, what can I, how can I improve, right? How can I be better about being welcoming, being inclusive for my students? Would it, you know, what, is there something I can read? Is there like a, a website, you know, what, in what ways could I, can I sharpen my, my tool and improve my craft? What would you recommend to those teachers who are looking to be a little bit better with being inclusive? I think uh, Mr. Johnson hit it right on the head, especially when he talked about talking about himself first. I love that because every morning, and I know you all probably think it's funny, but uh, when I normally taught, uh, when I was in the classroom, pre-COVID, uh, my, especially in AP US history, when you teach those upper levels, you're teaching those uh, juniors and seniors, sometimes buses were late. We all know about late buses. So instead of punitive, you know, kind of this whole punitive, oh, you're tardy, kids feeling really frustrated, I would have a morning rant. <laughs> and my kids actually got used to these morning rants for years and years and years. And they ended up coming up with a pay, a web page. The crazy stuff Mrs. Water says, it was my maiden name previously, it was what Mrs. Dempsey says, like in my funny morning rants. So it would be just random things that maybe would happen to me on my drive in. Uh, or it would be a crazy thing that I saw on the news or some just weird thing that happened. And what it does is like Mr. Johnson said, it brings you into that relation, having a relationship with your students. They see that you are human. Like Mr. Johnson said, you know, he talks about his pet peeves. He talks about his, you know, the favorite sports that he loves. You know, for me, I'm a huge football fan. I'm a huge Eagles fan. So the kids know if the Eagles have played on Sunday and they sucked, I'm going to like have the worst day. You know, they know. My morning rant is gonna be all about the Philadelphia Eagles. And so I honestly think that as educators, we have to, especially in this online environment, this pandemic, we have to give ourselves grace. And so I don't think that there's a magic bullet or a magic website because sometimes we can have too many resources. And so I really think everyone this year is a first year teacher, period all of us, no matter how long you've been teaching, you are a first year teacher this year. You have to redevelop and rehone your skills. So I honestly go back to those, those, I would say the principles that we learned in schools of education, which is relationship building, start there. And how, and you need to reflect 
within yourself, how do you best build relationships with people? And once you find that out within yourself, how do you best build relationships with people? You then have to model that for your class, like Mr. Johnson was saying, you model that for your class and you yourself have to say, what am I going to do to reach out? Uh, how am I, how am I going to do those things? So whether or not you communicate with your students weekly or bi-weekly saying, hey, you haven't turned in this, you haven't done that, are you okay? It's something as simple as, are you okay? Because I see that you haven't done this, or I see that you're not doing that, or I see you haven't, you know, chatted in the chat, you know, or in the feed. So I think that there isn't a magic bullet or there isn't a magic website. It really now has to come from within you because it's, it's, a, it's about people now. It's about us valuing people and not things. That's what I think this pandemic has taught all of us, you know, to value people <laughs> and not things. I don't know, Mr. Johnson. No, I, I agree with that. I, I am one to think about in the classroom if I was a student, if I was this eight, nine, 10 year old in this classroom, how would I wanna feel? How would I wanna learn? How would I want to be respected? And so I use that as my mindset to create all of my lessons. How am I going to get my students to empathize with one another? How am I gonna get them to you know, listen and do all these other things? And so, as you said, you gotta dig within, right? But you can use some of those things that you've, you've used before. So I know I've been doing morning meetings. So now I just have to be creative of how I'm going to, you know, incorporate those things into this virtual setting or in my face-to-face -face setting um, with these socially distant, you know, parameters. And so um, I still use my morning meetings. I still find those, those um, and you can look online and find tons of different morning meeting ideas. So there's no one resource for a morning meeting, right? And uh, doing those things, making sure that, hey, I'm providing choice for all of my students. Now, before, it might have been where they were you know, all together in the classroom setting at the carpet and we're modeling these things and no, it doesn't work that way. So I have to be creative on how I'm going to provide choice. How am I going to give them the resources that they need? Most things are going to have to be digital now um, and just going about it that way. So just taking what I've known, what I know, taking what the, stu what the students would want and then trying to be creative and how I'm going to go about it. You know, a lot of the <laughs> task cards and this, that, and you know, the scoops we can't do anymore, but I can be creative in how I'm going to provide that information to the kids. So we do a lot of digital sorts and then digital um, little scoop games. Um, I might put them in groups of four in a breakout room. And so they're working together to answer that problem. Um, it's just being creative in how we're going about all of it. Yeah, I think you'll, you'll both give great examples and then great kind of, yeah, like part of this whole conversation just about uh, the, you know, when I'm talking diversity, equity, inclusion, the first thing you gotta do is look in the mirror, right? Like, cause if you don't understand yourself, you can't really begin to try to understand somebody else, right? And I think that's being introspective about kind of your teaching style and, you know, in, in your kind of social interaction style, you know, whether you're introvert or expert and whatnot, you know, it's probably very, very crucial. And, and I love that, that quote, Ms. Waters about, you know, we're all first year teachers, right? Because, you know, this is different whether you've been teaching for 40 years or whether you've been teaching for four, you know, I can't be four. This is your first year. What does that, what does that look like? You might have the most advantage because, you, you know, it's the first year in the classroom. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like 
what both of you all are saying a lot. And you're answering a lot of the questions I had, had planned for, which is always in these conversations going extremely well. Um, I do want to ask, uh, because I, I do think often, you know, for me, like recruitment, like of classroom teachers in general is about, is, is kind of that diversity piece, but retention is that inclusion piece. Um, so I guess my question leans kind of more towards the diversity part, but how important is it to have diverse teachers uh, in, in classrooms across the world really? And then how can we get more? I mean, of course, this is a bigger problem than we can solve today, but how important is it to have diverse teachers? And, and, and what do you all think we could do to encourage more diverse teachers to go into the classroom? Um, it is very important, and this uh, I can kind of get on my soapbox with this part, but um, I'm not going. I'm not going to go there. But it's very important, and I see it all the time being a male in the classroom because they don't see a lot of males. Um, this year, at my in this new school, I've had so many students. To, oh my gosh, I have my first male, my first boy teacher. I'm my first boy teacher. Oh my gosh, you're my favorite. Well, why am I your favorite? I don't know, you're just a boy teacher, right? And so they've never seen that. They've never had that experience. And so I'm trying to live up to their expectations, but at the same time, it's just, they, they needed that visual. And these are all types of students, not just male students. So I'm talking about all types of students who are seeing a different perspective and, and seeing different you know, mannerisms and, and seeing a different culture coming from me. And so um, I think that's opening up a lot of you know, biases that they might have. It's opening up a lot of um, understanding and learning as well. So um, I think it's very, very important that we have more diversity within the education system. Now, how do we get there? That's a, a whole, you know, big process. But part of that is, I think the world has to be aware of what our kids need. Okay. And so understanding, you know, we talk a lot about the five C's and why they're important because all these five C's are going to help us in the future, make us future ready. So the world understood that. I think that would help in you know wanting having more people guide students to get uh, to that future ready moment. Uh, I I'm with Mr. Johnson on this. Uh, I am a I'm an a career educator after after 18 years. I guess I'm stuck with it, but uh, I think that multiple perspectives, like he said in the classroom, is necessary. And so I support everything he said, spot on, I don't need to say anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think a quick answer and, you know, and I think working with, so I, I was, this past year, I was working with the African-American History Education Commission to rewrite the history standards um, in Virginia. And I, and I think a, a, a real quick, answer to, to that question I pose, a lot of people will just you know, will say HBCUs, right? But that, which is a perfectly valid response, but at the same time, don't overburden HBCUs, which are already, you know, I think I heard, there's a statistics where HBCUs have 25% or something like that of, of, of black African-American students in the nation who are in college, but they grant 50% of diplomas and I, and I just had it's just something absolutely staggering um, and 
just kind of goes to show that they're already doing a lot. But um, I think just like with the, with the COVID stuff, you know, recruiting more diverse educators requires creativity and ingenuity. Uh, you got to sweeten the pot. You have to, you know, do things a little bit different. And um, I think we get so caught up in, in equality that we often forget equity, which is probably a better, really a better end goal because everybody doesn't need the same thing. And if you want a specific demographic and which is important to have representation, then you might have to go searching, right? It's, it's not as easy as just opening something up and, and, and seeing what whatever happens. So, um, all right, it's about 11.18. I know my fellow panelists have to go very soon. I wanted to give our, we only have one live attendee, but folks who are watching this kind of post live, um, you can comment in the chat um, on Facebook or wherever we end up posting this, YouTube, what, whatnot, and you can ask questions there. But I wanted to ask our attendee if they had any questions for us before we close out. And if you don't, that's okay. You can just type in the chat if you do, and if not, not a problem. does not seem like it. Ms. Waters or Mr. Johnson, I think that this has been a great conversation. Um, some things that I'm certainly taking away from this. I know this is going to be shorter than what I originally intended, but without with one last panelist, I don't want to feel like we have to drag on. I feel like I think it's been a great conversation. Um, a lot of what I'm taking away is the notion of starting strong, right? Setting the pace and setting the kind of um, environment that you want to finish in. You know, really focusing on trying to find those commonalities that both of you all were talking about, you know, things that make us, you know, appreciating the diversity and our differences, but at the same time, trying to find some common ground. Um, the notion of leading by example, I think is crucial, right? Making it easy, making yourself vulnerable so that way the students can be vulnerable as well. Um, what's another thing that stood out to me, and this is particularly for Mr. Johnson, I think more, or actually, and, and Ms. Waters too, but how much we connect through touch Right, like we have had to do the COVID, but we basically have to cut out an entire sense, you know, one of our entire senses in terms of, of touch, you know, high five, fist bump, whatever, hug, like we have to pretty much cut that entire thing out. So being creative and figuring out a way to kind of continue to build that, build that human connection is, is also crucial. Um, assuming goodwill, kind of something I got from, from Ms. Waters certainly of, like with the students being late um, with the bus and, and such. Um, and then in general, kind of humanize like our teachers, right? Like we are humans, we go to grocery stores, we have families, we we eat, we sleep, right? Like we, we are we're, we're humans, right? And I think y'all both bring a very important point uh, about that. Um, but yeah, and, and kind of in closing, is there anything else that you all wanted to mention? Thank you, Kanan, for inviting me to the panel. This was really fun. I was going to say the same thing. It was a pleasure <laughs> to be here. I really do appreciate you, you inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both of you all have incredible insight and are both amazing teachers. And I think the public needs to hear more from amazing teachers. And I think we need to pay teachers more. But uh, well, that's my soapbox, Devon. You said your soapbox was the higher diverse teachers. I'm like, we can't expect them to, I mean, do everything. And now we're expecting to be digital gurus too. Like we need to, it's gotta be some give and take. Right now it's just take. 
but but yes, I appreciate you both, and I hope you both are doing well and continue to do well. And I will look forward to the next time we can converse in the future. Absolutely, I did want to say one last thing, and the one thing that stood out to me and the connection you made was that teachers are human, but we have to remember that children are human too, and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to you know fail, and it's okay to fail. And one of the biggest things I tell my students is we all make mistakes everyone makes mistakes. It's only a few of us that learn from them. And so we're gonna be those few that learn from those, those mistakes because we're all human. And so everyone deserves grace, everyone deserves mercy. It's gonna be okay. And so I just wanted to, to share that with you because um, it just stood out to me. Yeah, that, I think that freedom to fail like is absolutely crucial, especially when talking about, not, if, let's say, I, you know, if I miss misgender, you know, I use the wrong pronoun, right? How how easy would it be for me to just be furious and vitriol and and, and, and anger, and, and when I could make that a teachable moment, right? Like I want to be vulnerable enough to which, like, look, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I will apologize, and we can move on. That's that. That's that aspect of grace, absolutely. And and here at Moton, it's like one of the kind of ground rules sometimes we'll set is, is uh, and Devon, you probably remember this, oops and ouch, right? If you say something that maybe you didn't intend to come off the way it was, you know, give that person a chance to to clarify. And if it's something that's off the wall, we can approach it then. We can, come, you know, confrontation is okay as long as you do it respectfully. However, sometimes you just miss misspeak or you say something in the context you didn't intend it to be. Um, I think that can help every, everyone grow um, if we, allow ourselves to, to fail and make mistakes, but make sure you learn from them. Ms. Watts, I think you've had something too. Yeah, grace. That's all my, my statement this year is grace. <laughs> that's uh, what I'm living by. And I think that that's it. You know, everybody needs a little bit of grace. So that's it. Our children, like uh, Mr. Johnson said, they deserve grace. They're gonna make mistakes. No one is perfect. And we are living through very bizarre times. And bizarre times, sometimes, sometimes, as they say, we have to have a little bit of creativity in our approach and give ourselves and each other some grace. Absolutely. And if I think if there's one word we come away from with this, I think that's a great word to, to come away from with grace. All righty, well, thank you so much, Mr. Johnson and Ms. Waters for tuning in. Uh, Y'all stay safe and healthy until the next time we can meet again. Absolutely, thank you. Have a great day. Bye everyone. Have a good day.